Raising girls. Is it harder than boys? And what scares parents the most? Parents are really, really worried that they're going to mess up their daughters far more than they're worried about messing up their sons. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking to the marvellous Maggie Dent about raising our daughters well. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. When my husband and I found out we were having a girl, we both cried. The sonographer was a bit worried, but we quickly assured her it was because we wanted a girl. And, you know, to be honest, we probably would have cried regardless. (laughs) But having our daughter has been incredibly rewarding and challenging. Being a woman myself, there are things I worry about in particular because she is a girl. Lucky for me, Maggie Dent, author, parenting educator and friend, has just released a book called Girlhood, Raising Our Little Girls to Be Healthy, Happy and Heard. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you, Siobhan. I'm so excited. So am I. (laughs) It's taken us forever to get back in the studio. And this book, I'm not just excited you're here. I'm excited that you're writing about girls. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I know Mm. there are people going, so what are you writing about girls? You don't know anything about girls. I keep forgetting I am one. (laughs) Um, And it really is because I've been observing really closely my precious little granddaughters. And that means really hours and hours of watching them. And every now and then I I just thought, wow, they're sharp. Gee, they're, wow, do they remember that? Oh, that's a really good solution to that problem. And then I suddenly thought, well, maybe it was just me because my gene pool is so fantastic. Um, (laughs) And so really when I put the survey out, it was really out of curiosity and that's when that came back and I suddenly realised, oh, wow, you know, this is, there are some things that anecdotally we might not have enough science to prove it, but that's exactly what almost 5,000 people were telling me. So tell us about this survey because your book, of course, or has all your amazing common sense and wisdom and research that you put into all your books, but you also had this survey. So you said 5,000, yep. 5,000 parents. Um, Some educators as well. So we got yep. early childhood educators who, you know, spend whole days with little girls and boys. Yeah. So what did you find kind of bubbled to the surface with that? What were the things mm. these parents and carers, because you're looking at a particular age yeah, group. Yeah, I am. Here, I'm looking you? at, I wanted it up to six, but we know that kind of we, we need to leave it to eight just, just in case, but also... The biggest changes start when androgens start moving in the body around eight. So I wanted to be under that. And <clears throat> what I found, the first thing that came up was the same concerns that I have for my granddaughters, which kind of like meant I wasn't, you know, just whopping around in the wind out there. Um, the first one that really is a big one is that um, they're worried that their girls are still going to be um, conditioned by their parents as being the most important thing about them. That was right high up on the list. We know that they're also worried about them still being conditioned to be nice and to be quiet and to behave and to look after others. Oh, whoopee. And then they were really worried about the big meltdowns. The emotional world is really intense. Um, And I think, (laughs) so when I started it, Siobhan, I didn't realise it was going to take me on the big journey back into my girlhood. And, you know, I, you know, I've got, you know, I'm quite a confident out there kind of rooster person. However, there are times that I still get triggered today because of some of those messages I got when I was under seven, that I shouldn't get too big for my boots, that I need to be a little bit quieter and need to, you know, basically keep your mouth shut. And 
So one of the things that came up was um, that I stood up once in class when I was only in year two, so I was only just not quite seven. The teacher was shouting at the little girl sitting next to me and I stood up and put my arms out and said she needed to stop that because she was being really mean and upsetting this little girl. Because I am a social justice campaigner, right? I was even then. In, even then. <laughs> and so I got put under her desk. What? Um, to be shamed. Oh, my word. Um, because that's not what girls were supposed to do. And also I know that every now and then she sat in her chair and I think she accidentally kicked me. Um, <laughs> no, so can you see that? But I remembered that vividly. And when I remember that, I can still feel inside me the shame. Mm. And that's one of the things that comes up very often is that us girls don't forget this is the big memory thing, you know, that I've just talked about the challenges, but the memory, it's unbelievable. And um, we also have a tendency to remember more negative things because we ha and also have a ruminating loop. And when you understand those, our little girls are developing those. So when we can sit with them and let them be heard to make sense of their world, I think we make a difference to the inner critic that turns up its volume when we're 12, 13 and 14. There is... So much just in that. But <laughs> let me take it back to that place where you're saying that for you, the experience was really interesting and, and triggering because while people know you as a boy champion, mm. the reason I was looking forward to this book is because I know you as a friend, mm. as a mentor, as someone who is extremely nurturing to other women. You raise women up. Yeah. So I was excited for that. Not everyone knows because you don't talk about a lot, is that you had a challenging relationship with your own mother. Yep. And in this book, there is a lot about uh, both the role model you are to your daughter, but also how your patterns are informed by your relationship with your mother. So, what was that like for you? Yeah, there's no question that that was, you know, it was something I've done a lot of work on because I realized um, I wanted, like every little child, every girl and every little boy wants a totally loving mummy and daddy if that's their reality, you know, or at least one. And what I didn't understand as a girl was that my mum wasn't the warm maternal mother I would have loved, you know, for lots of other things, great, but that wasn't her. And probably when I first stumbled on the five languages of love to understand myself a little bit, I realised why that was such a big thing for me as a little girl because my two main ones, you find it hard to guess these, <laughs> is quality time. That means, you know, lots of chats and experiences together um, and safe touch. And I didn't get that. What I got were the, in the 50s and 60s, lots of beltings, lots of shoutings and lots of shaming. So um, I knew it if I, when I was going to be a mother, that wasn't going to be the way that I was going to be a mother. Um, and it's not that easy for, for many people. But the thing also that I noticed was, um, it, you know, and when I took that dive in there, I realised how important my older sister was, who's only four years older than me. But you know what? I can still remember her um, doing round and round the garden with me and doing all the things that often mother figures do. She was like my mother. And she is kind of like she filled in a gap that was there. So I'm probably not as scarred as I could have been in that way. Plus I had a, an auntie who was, I didn't realise quite how much like her I am now, um, who when you went into her home, it was full of joy and laughter and cake and loudness and you know what I mean? So what I recognise, and this is exactly what all little girls are doing, they're looking at all the women around them 
Mm. and not just focusing on mummy. Obviously, you know, and that's the challenge for us is because sometimes, and I've heard it, you know, in conversations in the last couple of days, just one comment from another woman can lift you or crush you. And that, that's fascinating because that means we need to be more conscious. You know, Chev and I think we, now we know that we can lift all our little girls up more. You know, we, you know, but some of it's tricky. Like the mm. very first thing, if you see a little sweet girl who turns up in front of you that you only know just casually, you are so more likely to comment on how pretty she looks than you are a boy who looks really equally as pretty. And this is, you know, that's why social norms and cultural norms are so tricky. Yeah. yeah. You know, it challenged yeah. me today. You've got the most beautiful shirt on, right? <laughs> and I wanted to Thank leap you. out and go, And we, but we're older women. We can yes. do it. Yes. But I, there are times when I'm meeting a child and in my head I'm wanting to say you look so beautiful. And But I call all my grandchildren beautiful. My boys get called beautiful too. So I make sure that's a thing. So... Let's look at that because as soon as we keep commenting on her beauty, then her appearance becomes more important than who she is. Mm. And our job is to work out who is the one-off unique miracle who has arrived in our family and how can I create the environment for her to shine as she is, not how the world wants girls to be or women to be. Picking up on that... You talk about anger in your book, mm. and I'm really curious about that because I have a very feisty little girl, and she's the oldest, and she's definitely more articulate and emotionally verbal than her little brother. And anger, I never thought that would be something that would trigger me because I never had it in my family. My no. parents <laughs> weren't allowed to be. Well, my <laughs> no, we weren't. But uh, we like to say our family is very good at being passive aggressive yeah. because we weren't loud, angry mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And so when she's angry, it does it trigger something in Absolutely me. Absolutely will. But with girls, there's a real thing with anger, isn't there? Yeah, and it's almost like the opposite for boys is that you know them being sad and vulnerable can trigger people because they're not being like boy like. You know, that's the that's the challenge of us looking through this gender lens. You know, I spent so much time letting us see that boys are actually quite fragile emotionally. And you're absolutely right. So it was okay for us girls to be sad and upset <laughs> to cry with our hankies. Yes, you know, I'm about yes. to watch Bridget and next series and they do a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but anger, no, no. And that's what happened last year when Grace Tame had that angry look on her face. Um, you know, and I think it was... Virginia Trioli, who wrote, look, you know what? We're allowed to be angry. Mm -hmm. We have been conditioned it's not what nice women and nice girls do. However, it is a valid human emotion. Exactly the same. And it's one of my challenges when we're raising our little girls and, you know, helping them understand the emotional world, that we need them to help them understand there are a whole lot of emotions that can come. And sometimes they all collide together and can be confusing. Yeah. Um, we also know that girls tend to have a stronger intensity and they can last much longer. <laughs> and that's not a problem. Yep. That, but that was something I needed to understand. When I saw some of those, you know, a couple of my orchid granddaughters, when it went on for nearly an hour, I was thinking, whoa, right? Um, but, you know, the more I did the research, what tends to be happening for our precious girls is that they keep having a ruminating loop and repeating whatever it was that, tricked them, that triggered them. 
Right. And then it triggers them again. That young. And it triggers it them again. That young. And we do that. Yeah, that's where we get it. You know, it starts early. And also what really can trigger them a bit more is if we want to fix it or shut it down because we're uncomfortable or try and tell them what they're feeling, which can also trigger them for another half an hour. Oh, God. So can you see? But also I am reassuring everyone that this is really quite normal, um, you know, especially three, three to four, even four to five. But the good news, and you would have noticed it, that there was an evening out about six. Yeah. And that our job is to help them work out the things that make them really trigger into a space where they're unable to manage their feelings um, and whatever floods them. So it might be that, and one of mine is incredibly energetic, but if she pushes herself too far, she drains too much energy out of her body and she's got nothing left to navigate the, no, it's time for a bath. Yeah. Right? So we really need to help them work that out because later on, she may do exactly the same thing as a woman with a major project to get completed, but she decided to do a 10K run beforehand and also stayed out like dancing all night. And so what she turns up with is not the same capacity to navigate the energy in her body. Going back to that, the thing about ruminating, because I think that has to be one of the main things that makes us anxious. Yes. And I know that for older girls in particular, that's a really big concern um, do we try to break the ruminating loop and if so, how, or how do we try and yeah. teach our girls at this age not to ruminate? Oh, look, so it's a, it's an interesting one because yes, we can absolutely teach them different ways around it. And that's why sometimes, um, I teach really simple strategies that when they're in that place, and I did a lot of work for little girls when I was counseling full time, that I would, um, get them to go and either find their favorite teddy. So when you hear that thing and it's making you upset, we need to know what is it that helps you come through, like the glitter jar, what helps your glitter to settle, right? Because it's different for every little girl, right? Yeah. So we have to work out the ways that we can help them to bring their glitter down. And in a way, that's also because as soon as they get their, you know, cortisone levels lower, they can come to this place at the front which was where I make better choices. So they can't go, oh, if I take some deep breaths, it's going to make me feel good. Not when you're flooded, mm. right? And so we've got to recognise that that flooding stuff early is exactly what's supposed to happen. But then the problem solving later, and that's why there's a whole section on how do I, you know, emotionally coaching our little girls to understand that world. And then what is it that works? And sometimes it's just round and round the garden with their hand if they've done that with their parents because it'll trigger them into serotonin. It might be closing their eyes and bringing a rainbow right into the top of their head, down into their heart and filling their heart up. So what we do is we turn off the, you know, the, the, the ego voice that is developing quite strongly then and distracting it. And that's why sometimes when I was doing the therapy work, I'd take them on an imaginary journey, even in the midst of um, exploring what awful things is happening in the home than how awful their parents were. <laughs> and once we'd gone into that calm space and come back and looked at it, the little girl said, I think, I think my mummy um, gets sad because I can be really loud. And this insight stuff comes out of a little mm -hmm. girl when she isn't in the state of seeing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, well, it makes they're sense so, for me. <laughs> they're so wise when they can be you know, allowed to let the emotion go, whether we accept it, we're not judging them, mm. but we're also with them 
to know that when they come through that, that we still, you know, we still love them and we're still that safe base. It's not easy though. Wow, it's not easy. No, but um, something you were saying there, I mean, a lot of parenting and a lot of the things we're learning about children, I find, yep. is really good for me, yep. you know, to take, well, take it on a little board. girl inside you as well, remember. That's, that's true. I know. I know. But also, you know, over the years, all the advice um, mm. that you've given me and I, for my children, but then I'll turn around and go, oh, actually, I should, I should definitely be looking at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> How much of this book do you feel talks to the women and the mothers that are raising kids? And I know you're very clear in your book as well. Mm. You you know that and you accept and mm. that there is gender fluidity and we all have our identities. But if we're speaking to cisgender women who have that experience of uh, motherhood and of being a daughter, mm. how much of this book do you think is like, oh, they're going to be like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> I need to take this on board for myself. Yeah, look, that was exactly what happened with, you know, my chief editor lady. When she read it, she just came back and said, oh, my gosh, I have been on a really big journey for me. And she thanked me for my honesty and rawness around it because, you know, we still at times, um, and, you know, it doesn't matter where I am, and I talk to women and we've had these conversations, even though we have every single thing we need for a new job, we really don't give ourselves much of a chance of getting it. Whereas we know that men will have only 50% of the things they need and absolutely sure they're going to get it. Not being too big for our boots, being less than and being quieter are all things that are so deeply conditioned. And it also means we're more likely to be the people pleaser. Oh my gosh, when I got to the people pleaser part that came through, you know, that is a conditioning around the nice bit. And, you know, there's a time you know, I'm a really confident human and I've done a lot of work, but there are times even with a hairdresser who's doing my hair and I want to tell her I don't really like that, but there's a part of me that doesn't want to say that because I don't want to hurt a feeling. <laughs> yes. Every... What the heck? <laughs> like even, you know, like what the heck? She's a hairdresser. She doesn't, she can't read my mind. Um, and also that place of over-caring, I had to own that because I burned out a couple of times. I got some significant life-threatening illnesses because you know, felt the more I cared for others, then obviously actually it makes you feel better too. But I did not value me. And I run into so many women with the mental load and the overwork who, if they take some time, the guilt nearly drowns them. Like they lay awake for an extra hour that night, marinating in guilt. So these are the things that I want us to teach our girls that taking care of themselves and being their own best friend rather than their most significant enemy can change the way those adolescent years are and as we, and who we become as, as older women. We really need to know there is something beautiful and wise inside every single, every single human, but in little girls that they're not defined by how they look or what other people think of them. They're defined by who they are and the opportunity for that to shine as authentically as possible, you know, and I think when we see that, you know, sometimes I... We had a conversation where I said, you know, with a lot of women, what what really is it as a mother of a daughter since it's not what I've done in this lifetime? Um, and they also just don't want them to mess up like I did. I don't want them to make my mistakes. Um, and yet if we try and, try and fix everything, 
she doesn't go on her own journey. Some of our greatest growth came, comes from moments of setbacks and failures. It's that we need them to know that, you know, be brave, be fearless, because you can be, and be tender and be gentle. However, make sure you're being kind and gentle to yourself. I feel like I have to stop there because if I don't, I'll keep you here for the next 24 <laughs> hours. And plus, needless to say, we have the book. So yeah. if there is more that people want to know about all that amazing yeah. wisdom, because I, is this one of your biggest books, Maggie? I'm afraid it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I really, I didn't think it was going to be Chevy, but when I got into it and I was looking at all the research isn't good mm. because... We haven't been doing a lot of um, kind of gender research because gender wasn't a thing for a long time. And so it wasn't there. So it's the anecdotal stuff that really, and there's some few things that are tweaking it out. But what I wanted to do is, again, celebrate that each gender can be equally fabulous, exactly. And that um, we're not in one little box anymore, but the social conditioning is still out there. And that I want our little girls to be little girls for as long as possible, without makeup, without crop tops, without high heels and padded bras, just let our little girls be girls for as long as possible because we know that will give them a healthier adolescence. Well, I've got my answer now. It's all in my book right here. <laughs> so if you'd like to read the book, uh, there'll be links in the notes of this episode. Maggie Dent, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Siobhan. That's Maggie Dent. Her latest book is called Girlhood, and you'll find a link to the book in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review, or favourite. That way, you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.